Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. At the end of this service, we'll, we're going to have a special invitation. Special in that it's an opportunity for you to seriously do some business with God. And I hope that you will listen to God's words today in Psalms 139 that we're going to study and allow God to speak to you directly with his word. You know, back in the summer of 1973, I just finished my freshman year of college. And that summer, everybody was glued to their television sets watching the Watergate hearings, investigating the White House. And that really began a change in our culture. When I look back on the investigation that took place there, something shifted in our thinking. And we are still living with the consequences of that event. We got to the point shortly after Watergate that we began to investigate the investigators. And we're doing the exact same thing today. When you think about it, all three branches of our government are under constant investigation, like never before. Makes you wonder how the government can get anything done with all the time and effort, money and energy that is spent on investigations. Now the problem with those kind of investigations and for us who aren't involved, we just see and watch, is we don't know who to believe or what to believe because we don't know what the truth is. When people share something and you say, well, if that's true, then this, but if they're not telling the truth, then this. And, and sometimes it's just difficult, it's a challenge to know what you are to believe. And I really feel for judges and for juries because they're presented all this information and a lot of it is very conflicting and differs with each other and yet they have to make a determination what is the truth. And it's not easy. Well, here's the reality. God is the master investigator. He does have all the information. He has everything he needs to know. His judgment is perfect. It's never wrong. We're going to see in Psalms 139 how God is omniscient. He does have all knowledge, and it's the truth. And that he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He sees it all. And that he's omnipotent. He has all power. He can actually do something about it. A lot of times, as we investigate, we may come to the right conclusion, but we're powerless to make a change. Well, God has such power. 
So in reality, this psalm is one that should give you tremendous comfort. As we delve into these words, you're going to find some words that ought to encourage you. So let's jump in. Psalms 139, the very first thing I want you to see is God knows everything. In fact, there is nothing that God does not know. He has all knowledge. He's all, he is omniscient. Verse one, oh Lord, you have examined, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. Everything. There's nothing he does not know. You know, when I sit down and stand up, he even knows the mundane things. Why would God of the universe care about when you sit down or stand up? Well, this is just a way of letting you know nothing escapes his attention. And that he cares about you so much, he wants to know. He observes, he watches when you stand up and when you sit down. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Now, we may be far away from God, but God's never far away from us. And so he knows everything I'm thinking, every single thought. Uh, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. Uh, you see me when I'm going out and working or even at home vegging out on Netflix. You see it. You know everything I do. In fact, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. That's how well God knows you. Now, Mary and I laugh at each other because we've been together long enough that we can finish each other's sentences. It's a little unnerving. But we know each other that well. So when holy God, who's omniscient, he knows your thoughts, he knows what you're going to say even before you say it, he knows you that well. You go before me and follow me. Now, that's an interesting expression. He's in front of you. He's behind you. He's on your left side. He's on your right side. God is everywhere around you. When we listen to witnesses, I remember one time I was actually a juror on a drunk driving case. And you listen to the witnesses. They only have their perspective. What they see at the angle in which they see it. You could have people on four different corners have a single wreck and they'll all see something different. God is on all four corners. There's not an angle in your life that he does not observe at the same time. So when it says, I, I am, you are before me and you follow me. You're, you're all around me, God. You see every angle of my life. Now, why does he say this? You place your hand of blessing on my head. That ought to be a very encouraging statement to you. God just said, hey, 
Don, I know everything about you. I know all the crud. I know all the secrets. I know you so well, I know what you're going to say before you say it. I watch everything that you do. I know when you stand up, when you sit down. I, I know what you watch. I know everything about you. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly. I know it all. And yet, I still want to place my hand of blessing on you. Doesn't that blow you away? That God knows you as well as he knows you and he still wants to bless you? David says such knowledge is too wonderful. Such knowledge is too extraordinary. Such knowledge is too surpassing for me. It's too great for me to understand. The fact that God wants to bless me, knowing he has all the information, it's too much for me to grasp. God knows everything. There is nothing he does not know. Secondly, God is everywhere. There is no place that he's not. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, well, obviously you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, if I get away as far as I'm humanly possible, able to get away, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. So let's back up. In spite of all that God knows about you, he still wants to put his hand of blessing on you. Unbelievable. In spite of the fact that you might try to run and hide from God, he still wants to guide you and support you with his strength. Verse 11. I could ask the darkness to hide me but, and the light around me to become night, but even darkness I cannot hide. even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. That's because what does the Bible say? I'm the light of the world. The light from God's throne room will make it so that there's no need for a sun. S-U-N. God is everywhere and there's no place that he is not. And I can run and try my best to hide from him, but even there, he still and still wants to support me and encourage me and strengthen me. Now, David changes gears a little bit. 
He says, God, God created you. And God does not make junk. God created you. And he does not make junk. David said, you, you made all the delicate and inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You want to know when life begins? Life begins when God gets involved. And God gets involved in the mother's womb. And God is piecing that child together. Not a lump of flesh. Not by using some generic term that tries to dehumanize uh, it by calling it a fetus. It is God's precious creation. And he personally weaves, knits together. And that's what he did with you. And anytime the world tells you that you're worthless, just laugh. Oh no. I'm a creation of the God of the universe. The same God that placed these countless stars in the sky and the beauty of this universe he knitted me together. And he didn't make a mistake. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. And when you think of the human body and the complexity of it and how it just works. And then you get into the brain and how it even, be, I mean, we, we still are not sure all the ins and outs of that. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. I'm going to tell you, when, when you get to a place where you don't understand yourself and you get depressed about it, and I just don't know who I am, let me tell you something. You're a complex creation. that has the image of God stamped upon you. You were knitted by God himself. I want to tell you, that, that ought to encourage you of how special you are, how important you are. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. As God was knitting you together, he watched out of unbelievable love for you. <clears throat> and I want to tell you, no one, I don't think anyone, grieves more than God when life is treated with such callousness and when an unborn child is treated the way we treat them. The next time you hold a newborn child, 
<clears throat> just remind yourself, the hand of God knitted this child together. The hand of God placed his image on this child. God himself marvels at his creation. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Now, this is pretty astounding right here. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Well, that sounds like a purpose and a plan to me. In fact, I would say that one of the most wonderful prayers that you could pray every morning is, God, you already planned out the, this day, this particular day, you already planned it out before I was born. What are we going to do today? And you start approaching God with that kind of confidence. God, today is your day. You made it for me. You, planned, you knew before I was born exactly what this day is going to bring. And you have promised me your power, your strength, your guidance. You're in front of me. You're behind me. Your hand is upon me. So I want to, at the end of this day, at the end of this day, I want to have completed your purpose that you planned for this day before I was born. If you, begin, if you begin to approach every single day that way, how much more meaningful will you think your life's going to become? How much powerful will your life become? How much more fulfilled do you think you will be? One of the things that I will do with the college students, I make sure they have my personal number, and I tell them, you call me anytime. If you're in trouble and you don't feel like you can call your parents, you can call me. And some of them, they take it up on me. They take, take that up with me. They, I got a call at 2 o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> and I heard a voice that just says, Hey, Pastor, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm at a place I shouldn't be. I need to get home, and I have no way home. I I'll never forget the one call I got. A student was about three hours away at school. And their voice just says, um, hey, pastor, can you come and see me? I said, sure. What's up? I'm in serious trouble. I said, okay, what's going on? He said, no, I got to tell you face to face. I got to be with you when I tell you. Because I need you to be here. I need you to guide me. I need you to help me. I said, absolutely. So I got in my car, canceled all my appointments, drove three hours, sat down with him. I said, what's going on? He said, I, I, I got my girlfriend pregnant. I said, okay. Do your parents know? Nope. You're the first one to know. I said, all right, <clears throat> let's the two of us get in the car. We're going to drive home right now. Because I knew both sets of parents. I knew the girl. And I said, let's, let's just go home. And 
we're going to sit down with the parents, okay? And I'm, I'm going to be there with you when we tell them, all right? So that's what we did. And as we sat there and the parents let it sink in a little bit, all the parents were believers. So one of them, one of them just immediately said, well, I think there's, there should be an abortion. And everything riled up in me real quick. And I just looked at her. I said, so let me get this straight. Your two kids made a mistake. And your solution is to kill the one person who's innocent. That's your solution. And she hung her head and never said another word. Five years later, I was doing the wedding of another family member. So I was already in, living in another city then. And, and uh, so I actually had to fly in for the wedding. So I got there and at the rehearsal, I saw this five-year-old little girl running around. I just lost it. Tears of joy. I was looking at a child who was fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God. And I grabbed the two parents, the, the, the parents of the child, and I said, look at how God has blessed you. Look at how God has blessed you. Knowing I was going to tell this story today, I, I checked up yes, this past week. That child is now 43 years old. She's the same age as my daughter and has her own kids. A whole new legacy of life that is being lived because two individuals chose to face their mistake rather than to destroy it. And even in that mistake, a life was fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God and the purposes and plans for that child's life were already set. Number four, God thinks about you constantly. He never stops. Never stops. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? Precious thoughts, not just casual thoughts, precious, of great value. They cannot be out, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. It's not possible. They outnumber the grains of sand. Now, think about that for a moment. Next time you go to the beach, if you haven't gone to the beach yet, I want you to do this on one of those days when it's raining or you're super bored. Take a teaspoon, go outside, and take a teaspoon, level it off, take it in, and count. Just one little teaspoon. And somebody actually did this down in Panama City. It was in the summer and it was at low tide. You know, sands always are different sizes. 
And, and they counted and they came up with 23,584 in just a teaspoon. Now imagine all the rest of the sand on that beach in Panama City and then go down the Gulf Coast and up the East Coast and go over to the West Coast and go on and on and on and all the beaches in the world and start adding those in. And then the deserts, the Sahara Desert is one of the, is the biggest desert in the world, almost the size of China. And, and they actually did a mathematical study of how many grains of sand are in the Sahara Desert. And they just did a mathematical calculation and they basically came up with this. They basically said, it's more than the stars in the Milky Way. And we don't know how many they are. So if you took all the sand in the world, it would be a insurmountable number. You could not put your brain around it. And God thinks about you so much, it would outnumber the grains of sand. Now, I don't know about you, but if God is thinking about me that much, I want to know what he's thinking. What is God thinking when he thinks about you? Ask him. I mean, the reason he's thinking about you so much is because of his great investment in your life. He made you. He formed you. He shaped you. He planned out the days of your life. He planned out every moment of your life. And then so that you could spend eternity with him, he sacrificed his own precious son and allowed his son to die for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. And then you get to spend eternity with him, which is ultimately what he wants. He, you're created, he's created you and he wants you to stay with him for all eternity. And he is so consumed about you. He's so consumed with his love for you that he thinks about you so much as an individual, not as a group, not as a body of people, not even as all the Christians. He thinks about you as an individual so much that you cannot begin to count the number of thoughts he has just about you. He started thinking about you before you were born. So why are we not engaging with someone who loves us so much and is consumed with his thoughts of us? David said, and when I wake up, you are still with me, still with me. Number five. David kind of changes gears a little bit. But what he wants you to know is God is responsible for judgment. You are not. But God wants you to see things the way he sees things. Verse 19 says, oh God, if, if only you would destroy the wicked. Don't worry about that. He's going to. On his timetable. But before that happens, he's trying to save the wicked. He's trying to bring them to Christ because his son died for them as well. In fact, you used to be counted as wicked. So don't be so quick about that. 
God, if you would only destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. <coughs> oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Now, I do appreciate this, the fact that David was talking about God's enemies, not his personal enemies. You know, he wasn't saying, God, you know these people over here that I don't like. I want you to not like them either. No, he said, God, the people that are against you, I'm against them as well. I'm against the people who are against you. But here again, it's God's job, not yours. I remember when I was a youth minister, and um, there was always, you know, one or two young people that just made my life so much not fun. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And, and I, I, a couple of times, I'll be honest with you, I prayed. I said, God, you know, that kid's getting on my last nerve. So I'm going to pray and ask that you transfer his dad <laughs> to another state. <laughs> and I felt okay praying that prayer until God spoke to my heart. I said, Don, let's just be really clear about this. If I started cleaning house in my church of everybody who falls short of my standards, you would be out in the first sweep. So I stopped praying that prayer. None of us deserve to be in God's house. Only by the grace of God. So now we come down to the last two verses. My question to you is, will you pray this courageous prayer? I, I think this is, other than your prayer of salvation, this is probably the most courageous prayer in the Bible. It takes a lot of courage to pray such a prayer. And I'm challenging you today to pray this prayer during the invitation. Search me. Another way of saying it is test me with your refining fire. Test me. Take your holy fire and put it on me. And burn off what does not belong there. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Oh, and he does. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. How many of you already today, you've had an anxious thought? Just today. Something happened yesterday and you just, your anxiety level went, shoot, and you started having anxious thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Oh, now there's the courage. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life, eternal life. So are you willing to pray this gutsy prayer? I want to tell you, I, I pray this prayer quite regularly 
This should be a very common prayer you, that you pray. And not once, not once in the thousands of times I've prayed this prayer has God ever come back to me and say, you know what, Don, you're doing really good. Ain't, there's nothing to work on. <laughs> not once. There's always been something. But God is extremely gracious, and I'm appreciative of this. Very gracious. He doesn't use a floodlight to answer this prayer. He used a focused, narrowed beam to answer this prayer. He shows me one thing at a time that I can handle and deal with through his, the power of his Holy Spirit. Because if he showed me everything that offended him in my life, I would crawl under a rock and not want to come out. Search me. Are you, are you willing to pray that prayer? Search me, oh God. Know, know my heart, you already do. Test me. All my anxious thoughts, every, everything that Everything that bothers me, everything that riles me up, everything that discourages me, everything that weighs me down, show that to me. Point out anything in me that offends your holiness. And then when you do, lead me back to the right path towards your glory. So this, this is a gutsy prayer. So our invitation is this. I, I'm not going to be here at the front. I think you've got to deal with God on this directly. It's just you come. We're, <clears throat> we're going to wait and take the offering after we start singing our last song. But the band's going to go ahead and come out. And after I pray... I'm going to ask you to be courageous enough to just stand up and come and stand, kneel, whatever, and pray this prayer, Lord, search me. Test my anxious thoughts. Show me what offends you in my thought life, in my heart, in my actions. Show me my priorities that offend you. I want to know what you think because you're the master investigator and you have all the truth. You have all the truth. Let's pray.